I'd like a soy latte, please. This order cannot be countermanded. <laughs> You're on the Terrace. We are the companion podcast to Night Terrace, the time travel comedy for your ears. I'm Vaya. I'm a terracist. So I'm a Night Terrace enthusiast. And I'm also an Erinsborough enthusiast. And I hosted the first series of On the Terrace. In this episode, we are diving into the series two premiere of Night Terrace. Sense and Susceptibility, written by John Richards, who's one of the Night Terrace producers. And I have the other co-producer, Ben McKenzie, who also voices Eddie Jones, here, and we're going to have a chat about it. Hi, Ben. Hi, Vaya. Hi. Is that is that okay, my new term, my new descriptor of myself? I'm a little bit worried. Are we going to get picked up by ASIO or <laughs> MI5 or something? Terracist. They've just got to listen carefully to my enunciation. Mm. My new relationship with this series is... It plays havoc with my need to spell things correctly because sometimes when I'm learning new sci-fi words, because mm. I'm, I'm not a big consumer of the, the genre, my brain doesn't know how to spell it and oh, yeah. it drives me mad. We don't have too many words like that. I sometimes. Think we, we try to avoid like inventing a lot of jargon. I'm, I'm happy with the terms. I mm. Just my brain is like, I guess I'm writing it down like that. Well, sometimes, I mean, a lot of terms made up in sci-fi, like the, whoever wrote it decided how it was spelt. It didn't exist. True. There's no rules. And I guess some people listening might be thinking Jackie Woodburn spelt with a Q-U-I. Who knows? <laughs> Could be. Now, series two is happening yes. on BBC Radio 4 Extra. Since series one, Guess who I have met? Who who did you meet? Jackie Woodburn. What? Yes, the voice of Dr. Anastasia Black. How did this happen? So I create a different another podcast, a neighbors podcast, Neighbors. Yes. yes. I I've been talking about the goings on of Ramsey Street for the last five years. And Neighbors recently was nominated for a series of Logie Awards, which is Australian Television's Night of Nights. Mm. And I somehow pulled a few strings and got myself on the red carpet to interview the neighbors cast. So good. And I met Jackie and it was in the middle of just pandemonium. It wow. was all the Neighbours cast were coming through at once, plus a few other shows were wo- weaving in through them. And I was I thought I was going to be mentally prepared, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it, I, my co-hosts and I froze in front of her. We could not believe Susan Kennedy was in front of us. <laughs> And did you feel like you've been sent to the principal's office? <laughs> well, she was so warm. Yeah. And she asked how long we'd been watching Neighbours. And we, you know, we all said more than 20 years and my co-host more than 30 years. And she said, oh, so you've grown up with me then, haven't you? And I nearly burst into tears. Oh, <laughs> she's a delight. It she's was so lovely. Wonderful. And I mentioned Night Terrace and oh. she was glowing about all of you guys, oh. the Splendid Chaps Productions. Oh. The audience of this podcast would know just the the scope, the reach of Neighbours. Yes. That it has and the connection people have to the legacy characters like Carl and Susan and Harold, who we'll get to. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will. something, like I met her in, in and amongst 50 other famous people. It was a big night, but something about meeting Jackie, just it was a very special moment. Yeah. So luckily I did that, got that out of my system so that down the road, when we can talk to her about Night Terrace, I'm composed. Yeah, we do hope that will happen. I mean, that would be really lovely if we can put that together. You know, it's all about people's schedules, which is which is always tricky with these sort of projects, you know. 
And because of scheduling, you're mainly going to hear me and Ben on on the terrace. And every now and then we'll be joined by the occasional bonus friend. Mm. Because everyone who creates this and Night Terrace, we're all freelancers. Yes. So it is a bit like herding cats sometimes. We've got a lot of things going on. Can't always predict when and where. Did you bottle lightning the first time you got everybody together to make the series five, nearly five years ago? We just sort of booked in the recording dates as early as possible and we worked around it. Our ideal has always been to have as many people in the studio at the same time with each other as possible, but we have recorded plenty of people separately and then edited them in. Administration is the key. Good organisation. Yeah. Forward planning. Yeah. And how soon after the first series was made did you jump into series two? It was about a year before we did the second crowdfunding campaign. The actual recording happened a little bit more than a year after and it was it was released about 15 months after the original one. So the original one came out sort of October 2014 and then the second season we released in like February uh, 2016. Does that mean there might be something in the works about a third series that could be crowdfunded? Yeah, there might be. Yes, look, we certainly, I mean, I don't want to say too much too concretely because, you know, we haven't nailed everything down, but yes, we... We do intend to make a third season and we're hoping that'll be this year. So watch this space, I guess. Yes. And if you've got rich friends, just get their emails handy. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to chat about Sense and Susceptibility, Love and Austin reference. Oh, such a good title. I can't remember who came up with that, but I was so happy when I heard it. I, <laughs> I think it was John. I think it was John's. But he, we, yeah, we had a few different versions of the title, as we have for most of the episodes. Anastasia Black is... Travelling again through time and space in her house, which is called Night Terrace, accompanied by Eddie Jones, but now new housemate, Sue. Right, I've tracked our last 26 landings in the A to Z I bought, and look at the map. There's a clear pattern. Sue was spying on them for the department, but now they're all working together as a gang, as a team, as a squad. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's great. And now, yeah, Anastasia's exploring for fun and... It's She's going on adventures not against her will. Yeah. <laughs> but they have their adventures stalled as the house can't seem to land anywhere except for 1955 London. Yes. And I like to imagine that they've been on some adventures in the interim. Maybe even the live adventure could have been set in between. I, oh. I never thought about it that way, actually. Um, we did do a live recorded episode that you can get on our website. And we just deliberately didn't set that at a particular mm. part of the show certainly set sometime before the end of series two but it could it actually could be set between the two series there's nothing to prevent it from being there so this is not necessarily the first trip they take once they're out on the open road yeah this now has it just started stalling in 1955 yeah so it's it's obviously been happening for a little bit of time as the episode opens because anastasia is really ropey about it she's like oh what is this Oh, and is it still 1955? Uh, yes. Still May the 20th, 1955? Um, yes. Damn! And it's the same place, London. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not exactly the same place. They're landing in sort of random places all around London. Oh, yes, because uh, Sue is mapping out where they're landing and has pinpointed the central location as the BBC headquarters. Yeah, she gets an A to Z. Which I thought yes. was a nice reference, like, because it's so, it seems so old fashioned now. It's a bit like in Melbourne, like the, the classic um, road guide here is the Melways. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which, you know, I, I've lived in Melbourne for a little over 20 years and, and I bought one when I got here because I need to know how to get to places. And, you know, it was before Google Maps. I have such nostalgia. And most people will remember the page that their house, that their childhood house was mm. on in the Melway. It's like, oh, I'm 29B. And yeah. <laughs> we have our trio, which have an excellent dynamic already. We have Eddie, who's a little bit petulant because he's not a – a, a, a career trained monster hunter. It's like he's a, he's the second child now. You know, the new child's come along and is much more talented. And he's like, <laughs> mum. And yes, yeah, Sue and, and Anastasia have a great working relationship. They've both worked for the department mm. and they don't always agree on how to solve the issue. So there's a back and forth about that. And Eddie's just trying to insert himself or they try and bring him in, but then he's. He still hasn't worked out what he what his role is, hmm. apart from dancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and I I really like that dynamic. We tried to establish it early on because there is there's quite a character arc to do with their relationship to each other, how they think of each other. When we were doing this in the writers' room, we really thought about well, what what needs to happen in each episode. And one of the things that needed to happen was we wanted to pretty quickly establish that they've been together for a little while now, and. Anastasia and Sue are finding themselves really in sync and Eddie is finding that really off-putting. I just feel a bit like like I'm the only one who hasn't been trained to be a black ops alien hunter. We did demons as well. The department believed in a broad foundation. Can you just talk me through quickly what the department was? They don't seem to belong to any particular government, but they sort of do save the world from like external threats like aliens and stuff. But they're also like sinister and not necessarily acting in everybody's best interests. And so Anastasia found out at the tail end of last series that she she thought she was retired, but they were having her work for them without her realising it. Yeah. So they did not create the night terrace houses, but they discovered them. Mm -hmm. And so when Anastasia left, they kind of let her go, but engineered things so that the house that she bought to retire into was one of the night terrace houses. And then they monitored it and once it started traveling through space and time, that they have a device attached to the house that would leave information behind that the, the department could use to track them. And then they would have Sue, who was using this quantum possibility machine, would feed those coordinates into it and it would create like a, a kind of a, a thing for her to be in that instance so she could observe them and, and guide them a little bit without giving too much away. At the end of the last season, um, the house disappears Sue like makes a bit of an intuitive leap and goes, well, I'm going to set all the controls to zero <laughs> and go nowhere so I can find them because that seems to be where the house has gone and it can't find anything in this nowhere place, this extra dimensional space uh, that the house is in and so it transports her there because there's mm-hmm. nothing to create for her to inhabit. Like it can't make a robot or a bird or, okay. you know, whatever. So she gets transported to where the house is. Sue, uh, now she's aboard the house, is like, well, I know where the thing is that has allowed them to track you so I can get rid of it so they can't track you anymore. And I'm not going to be there to follow you anyway, so it doesn't matter. And her motivation is, well, she's just going to go rogue and solve things her own way. She wants to have an adventure because one of the things we discover in that episode about the department is that you basically don't get to leave. Like once you work for them, it's like, yeah, and the people who work there, they're kind of cheery on the surface, but there's this undercurrent of, but they could just kill us at any time. (laughs) Oh, we should tell upper management. (laughs) Do you really want more attention from upper management? No. Me either. I don't consume a lot of science fiction Mm. or fantasy, so a lot of this is fresh territory for me, which is a great exercise for my brain. It's good mental gymnastics because it doesn't always think in these ways. Yeah. 
But if, if ever I go, what does that mean? That's why I'm, it's vocabulary I'm not used to playing with. What vocabulary I am used to hearing is Cockney. Yeah. <laughs> Which is our first encounter with a local as we enter the BBC of a, there's a local courier. Oh, yeah, because so they discover that whatever is at the centre of all the, like they, they plot where the house has been landing, what's at the centre of all these landing points. It's bloody BBC Broadcasting House. <laughs> Um, and I really enjoyed this because I went, I've been to London once. I, I, I went on a trip to the UK about eight, nine years ago mm-hmm. now. Um, and going to the BBC Broadcasting House was a bit of a pilgrimage for me. I was like, oh my God, look, it's real. And I, I had a friend who was working there as a comedy producer at the time. Um, and I went in to see one of his programs being recorded live for radio and it was oh. the best. It was so good. It's a famous building. It's in the middle of London. What's the significance of the year 1955? One of the things about it was we wanted it to be long enough ago that it was, uh, you know, a period piece. And I think also it's about the radio series, The Archers, which we are sending up as The Fletchers. So 1951, The Archers began broadcasting. We arrive as a radio play is being produced. Yes. Once we get past the Cockney fat friend <laughs> who says Chim Chimini as, a, as an Affectation. Look, an amazing performance by David Lamb. I quite like the fact that we've got a lot of Australian actors in this doing English accents, which they're all very good at, but we also have an English actor doing an Australian accent. Who's that? Uh, Gary Russell does, does his, his oh. Australian, which, uh, like, and it's, and it's deliberately bad, but I think it's only fair that we send up our own accent if we're <laughs> all going to be sending up the British accents of the time. Good day, cobbers. Struth, we had a bluey in the cooler bar last night. We then meet Ian Smith, Australian TV legend. Yes. uh, Part of the Neighbours alumni family as Harold Bishop, but he's had a vast career outside of Neighbours as well. And here he is playing Bunny, the radio performer. This was one of my favourite days in the studio. Um, It was the first episode. I think we did actually record this episode first. And we had most of the people in the episode in the studio together. We didn't have Louise Jamison, didn't have Colette Mann, but most of the people who were actually in the Fletchers in the studio together <laughs> as they are in the script. And it Perfect. was it was great. It was so much fun. And was it nice seeing Jackie and Ian, Harold and Susan it was. together? Because like my vintage of watching Neighbours, I used to watch Neighbours when I was in high school. So Harold was like a major character yeah. back then. And and I remember <laughs> I remember I was on you know a mailing list for Red Dwarf back in the days before, you know, proper internet. And sometimes they would talk about stuff that hadn't aired here. And that happened often if you're in Australia because it was like six to 12 months before things were on TV here at a minimum. Oh, um, it was a struggle. And the only thing we could get them back with if they spoiled stuff for us was neighbours. So mm. we'd say stuff like, oh, yeah, Harold's back. And they're like, what? Mm. Like when Harold came back from the dead, which I still don't really understand how that worked. Wasn't he like lost off the coast of Tasmania yeah, or something? He, in a he boat? was swimming around Bass Strait. And recently they've gone back to that well and they've brought uh, Madeline West's character, Dee Bliss, back from the dead. Oh, that's right. Isn't she like some weird twin sister of yeah, it's they not were, actually her or something? They've just revealed it was twins separated at birth. Yeah. It's a rich well. It's a deep well of... <laughs> Plot. Look, when you've got 30 years of history or more, why mm. not draw on it? But we've relinquished that power. God, it was great having that neighbour's storyline power because they closed the gap of how far ahead we were. It, they crunched it from six months to six weeks. And oh, now, wow. as of right now, we're only a few hours ahead of the UK. Oh, same day. Same like fast day. Fast-tracked. 
So, yeah, it's mm. around 10 p.m. our time they get it. So Oh, wow. Okay. We've got nothing. <laughs> we've got nothing. We get, we get no recourse. We're just close to Ramsey Street. That's all we got. Tell me about the arches because I only know the very bare minimum and this seems like it's part of the fabric of English culture. Yeah, look, it's a bit, it's, it's one of those things that I picked up through osmosis more than anything else <laughs> because, you know, I never lived in the UK for any length of time. So it's not part of my cultural bringing up. But it is a massively famous show. It's a very short show. Like it's oh. only like 12 to 15 minutes and it's about a country town with a bunch of farmers and uh, it's very... It really is about farmers. Yeah, it really sure. is. Yeah, 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 for sure. And it was always meant as a sort of partly educational show that would teach stuff to farmers, but also uh, as it's gone on, it's, you know, also taught about other stuff like social issues and things like that in more recent years. And it's... It's still going. Can I dip into it? Do I need to know anything or could I just pick up an episode tomorrow? I think you probably could. I think, I think you know, when you've got such short episodes, I mean, it kind of reminds me of something I read about newspaper comic strips when there's those three panel ones that were ongoing stories like The Phantom, which is that you can't really tell any story. You've got one panel to tell a story <laughs> because the first panel is previously on The Phantom <laughs> and then the middle panel is right now something happens and the next panel is, oh, no, what will happen next time on The Phantom? And... <laughs> And I feel like if you've got a 12 to 15 minute radio series, it's going to feel a bit that way. Yep. But the other thing that's happened now is that they do six episodes a week. And then on the seventh day, because it's a daily show, on the seventh day, they like play an omnibus of all the previous episodes of the week. Great. Okay. So you can listen to them all in one go. And that's, and it's still pretty short. Okay. Because the episodes are so short. Our friends, our housemates find themselves in and amongst the cast in this recording booth because they get mistaken for the Australian voice actors. They do. They've come in to find out what's preventing the house from leaving this time period and this place. They find a weird noise. Yeah, somebody opens the door and assumes that they're the Australians. And, of course, they are the Australians, but these aren't the Australians you're looking for. <laughs> That's one of my favourite um ridiculous tropes in fiction of just, oh, uh, I was expecting, you must be the young lady I was expecting, come right through and just no checking of any other credentials. I mean, look, this is another reason to set it in 1955 because nobody would know what no. the actors would look like until they showed up, particularly if they're voice actors because you don't need to know. Yeah. You just need to know who they are. And, you know, they weren't the same kind of security um, protocols that there are now. So there wouldn't have been any metal detectors or x-ray machines or, I mean, I'm assuming here, and no, like swipe cards or name tags necessarily. It's just, who are you? I'm this person. Great, come in, do the job. And now we have some so, some glorious content. It's Jackie Woodburn's line readings of Anastasia Black putting on the Australian oh, accent. So good. G'day, cobbers. Sorry we're late. Our combi ran out of Vegemite just outside of Earl's Court and then Bez had to chunder after going on the turps. Truth! Exquisite, because first she just kind of does it, she just has a crack at it, and then they want it Aussier. She bungs on a bit of Suze Kennedy, that's not enough. Yeah. So she's got to really go, Oka. Yeah. God, it's incredible. Because she is, I have an Irish background, is yes. that right? Yes, And her natural accent is, is pretty Australian, but with a little bit of an Irish lilt to it. Which is lovely. I really love her, no, Jackie's well, natural accent. I think that's why I melted a little bit when I met her because she looked at my co-host and, and I and just went, hi, girls. And yeah. it was just so warm and lovely. <laughs> it's a, it's a, Jackie, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I really enjoy your natural accent because she's not here. I'm just talking to her in case she's listening to our podcast. She's going to catch I'm, up. Yeah. I'm 100% sure she doesn't do. Yeah. But, uh, but 
you know, it's a really beautiful blend of Irish and Australian accents because she's lived here for so long. I like pointing it out because once you know that, she never, ever misses a beat with the Australian accent on her work on Neighbours. No. She just, it's never apparent no, that, no, no, that no. there's any other Susan dialect. Kennedy has her own voice and it's, she nails it. I think she uses a natural accent, something a bit closer to her natural accent on Night Terrace, but it's still not. Well, I'm not 100 percent sure about no. that actually, but it's but it's a great you know she's got a character voice for Anastasia, um, which is subtle but it's there and and yeah it's fun to see her getting to do something else and that was something else we had as a goal for this episode not this ep- just this episode but for this season was to go let's give Jackie some more fun stuff to do Ooh. and you know like episode three when we get there oh she's got some great fun stuff to do in that one I Cause, tell you because she's she's one of the best actors in our country like it's. Yeah. She, the stuff she can do is incredible. Yeah. And she, she has to do a lot of stuff on soap because they do <laughs> wacky plots, they do serious plots, tragic everything. plots, everything. Yeah, so the, she's got a huge emotional range mm. on Neighbours, but she's always playing the same character. Yes. So you can take it pretty far, but only so far because she's always playing the same person. So we wanted to give her a bit of scope to do some different stuff and some ridiculous stuff and some fun stuff. And we actually did ask her while we were making Series 2, you know, what what would you like to do? We'll put it in there. <laughs> and she gave us a suggestion, and I won't spoil it because we'll talk about it when we get up to that episode. Fantastic. Can I just say yes. about while we're talking about this scene, the cast in this, I love this. Oh, so good. Like, we, it's one of those episodes where everybody we asked said yes, and it was just like, Magic. Um, so we got, we got Ian Smith, Harold from Neighbours, playing Bunny, the sort of, you know, the very lovey, like traditional <laughs> actor. Gary Russell, who um, is best known these days as a writer and TV you know, maker of television programs. He's also worked with the Big Finish company making Doctor Who audio adventures. Um, He was involved with Doctor Who magazine for a while. Um, He's done lots of Doctor Who stuff. But when he was a kid, he was an actor and he was on The Famous Five. Oh, He played Dick in The Five. Now, I'm hoping I've got that right. I'm pretty sure he was Dick. But he played one of The Famous Five. Is there a Dick in The Famous Five and The Faraway Tree? Yeah. Julian, Dick and Anne, George and Timmy the dog. Great. That's the five. And then we've got Louise Jamison. You may not know that name, but Louise Jamison played Leela, one of Tom Baker's assistants in the 1970s Doctor Who series. Oh. And she was wonderful in that. She said yes, and she plays the role of Marjorie, who's the actor who's only ever given the line, Have you seen the cows? The team at Big Finish, shout out to them. They they recorded that in their studios when she was in doing some bit of uh, Doctor Who or, or something else for them. And... She was so great and just nailed the performance when we weren't there to direct it. And um, and gave you variations of the same line. Yeah. And was just has just been an absolute delight to deal with as well. She's a super professional and super lovely. And so, yeah, thanks, Louise. It was such a pleasure. And she's so funny in this episode. It's so good. Have you seen the cows? 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 <laughs> okay. Hurrah. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to gush about somebody. Please. And that is Colette Mann. Oh, yeah. Who's, we call her the best friend of the show over at Neighbours because uh-huh. she's our most beloved guest. And we call her Colette Nan because she plays a grandmother on Neighbours. She's just a hoot, hilarious. And I loved in this episode her just rattling off a bunch of fake English biscuits. Yeah. Clanky clank, crumbling Timothy. Sergeant Crisp's victory rounds. 
Sambo darkies, big black. No. The smidge fingers and the jammy fudges and the, my favourite was the crumbling Timothy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no shortage of amazing biscuit names. I think John had a field day just writing <laughs> this long list of ridiculous <laughs> names. And, of course, there's the one that's like clearly going to be the most horrendously racist thing you've ever heard, yeah. but um, Sue cuts her mm. off. Um, because it's 1955. Like, yep. we didn't want to – I mean, we. it is a comedy show. We didn't want to be too serious about it, but we also didn't want to make a show about – you know, set in 1955 – and pretend that, but everything was mm. nice then, and nobody was racist. Yeah. Everyone was, you know, not a jerk. And you're like, nah, that's not how it works. And so Colette, who is Sheila on Neighbours currently, and actually, as at time of record, has a really poignant storyline, a mental health based storyline, and it's mm. she's doing a beautiful job. But she plays the tea lady in this episode, and um, also it's she's a product of her time, and she doesn't understand why Anastasia and Sue are prodding around the engineering equipment. Yeah, yeah. Because women don't do that. No. And it's great because this episode, one of my favourite things is that you're never quite sure who the bad guys are. Yes. Like there's Amanda's uh, – Amanda Buckley plays the um, Vanaray, who's the, the, the receptionist at BBC. I love the receptionist House, a lot. And she's like really stuck up and like, you know, pretends not to understand what the Cockney delivery guy is saying <laughs> um, just to be annoying but also is really like, what's going on? Um, and everybody's super classist. And so Sue gets around this by just putting on airs and like adopting a, an upper-class accent but also she finds the special bit of equipment in the recording studio in the little little equipment room next which, to it. Which is like a big purple egg with audio cables sticking out of it. Yeah, yeah. And its role is to process the audio, but then as it transmits, it makes people susceptible to the messaging it's broadcasting. Yeah, and it also has that effect in its immediate vicinity. So there's a, one of my favourite things that has ever happened on this show is the scene where... It's Sue and Anastasia are in that room and they are talking to each other and they are just believing everything each other says and agreeing <laughs> with everything that they say, no matter how ridiculous. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. You are. You are the uncle of a monkey. A monkey is my nephew. You totally have simian relatives. What the hell is happening? And they're like, we've got to get out of here. <laughs> Because uh, it's just making them sad. And then the follow-up discussion where they're like, what do we do about this? Should we destroy it? And they have – now, the purpose of this, this is this is like a classic sci-fi trope. I don't know, I don't know if you mm-hmm. know this. Whenever anybody, like, is meddling in history, they have these big debates about is it the right thing to do? Yes. Um, and there's a famous one in Doctor Who where he gets sent back by the Time Lords and he's like, you've got to destroy the Daleks before they do anything bad. And Ooh. he has this whole discussion about do I have the right? To destroy the Daleks, you can't doubt it. But I do. You see, some things could be better with the Daleks. Many future worlds will become allies just because of their fear of the Daleks. And it's a great speech, but, you know, it takes up a lot of time in a four-part, six-part, actually, I think, serial. And we're like, we've got, we got 25 <laughs> minutes, guys. Let's just cut to the chat. And so they have this rapid-fire discussion, which Sue, oh, Petra Elliott, by the way, does such a good job. I'm so glad that, you know, now Sue gets to be her own character I'm instead of all this weird thrilled. stuff. I'm thrilled to have her to part to complete the Holy Trinity. Because <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was a great gag in the first season, but I think it would have worn old if mm. we kept it going any longer. And now, this, you know, we really get a taste of what she's like. And mm. she's she's a little bit ruthless. She's a little bit reckless, but she's really excited and she's really good at what she does. And so when she's arguing with Anastasia about whether they should or shouldn't destroy this thing, She's like, I know how to short-circuit this discussion. I'll just open this door. We need to shut this down. I agree. Good. 
and the machine's influence means Anastasia immediately agrees with her. Oh, I missed that tiny little detail. Yeah, so so she's used the machine to get Anastasia oh. to do what she thinks is right. It, it's so powerful that Anastasia doesn't even pick up that that's happened. Yeah, it's just that nice little moment where Sue's like done something a little bit wrong, but probably for the right reasons. And and she's got that great line towards the end after it's all happened where she says, Sometimes blowing bad stuff up is the best you can hope for. And I do like the delivery of that line and however David Ashton processed it in the editing where it was she said it as she was walking away off into the house. Yeah, she's heading off into the house, nice. yeah. I mean, Eddie, meanwhile, has been distracting the cast with his um, Welsh clog dancing. <laughs> I did like the sound of that too. Nice uh, callback to his uh, contemporary dance classes. And it sounded, I love the clumsiness of how it sounded. He, look, it he sounded like, like dancing but in, in big wooden shoes. Yes, it was perfect. Yeah, it was great. So, so good. Um Sue plugs the machine in so that it goes through the announcement system in the BBC instead of into the broadcasting and recording equipment. But while she's trying to do that, that's when the tea lady comes in. Again, you don't know who the bad guy is because is it the tea lady? Because she comes in and she seems quite sinister. But actually it's just that she's dis- distracting Sue because she's offering a biscuit while next to the machine. <laughs> it's really hard not to just eat a biscuit. Must resist biscuit. And because tea is such a high priority in these sorts of organisations. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved that gag about now the tea lady does have a name over the PA system. Yeah, yeah. And you must not use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the announcement. I think John had endless fun with those announcements uh, and, and doing a little bit of research. So who can we mention who would have been in the BBC mm-hmm. in 1955? Yes, Desert Island Discs and all those little b- buried treasure yeah, gags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To distract the producers – Yes. Anastasia and Eddie go back in to deliver their dialogue as if they're doing the play. And this is mm. where I was completely dead from Jackie's delivery of these Aussie lines. Oh, yeah. God. Because oh. here's the thing over, um, obviously, I have a lot of listeners from the UK to my Neighbours podcast because those are the viewers of Neighbours. Yeah. And we're often having discussions back and forth online about the Australian dialect and do we have regional accents? And they're not as pronounced as they are in the UK, but we do have them. Like you can t- sometimes tell subtly if someone's from Adelaide they will say dance instead of dance well Adelaideans yeah they have the most English of the Australian accents and that's because Adelaide was originally settled almost entirely by English and German settlers Mm. as opposed to all the other major cities which were largely Irish and um, lower class English settlers and I'd say the Queensland accent is a little rougher Um, I I can't Mm. it's hard to describe but it's yeah a little more rough around the edges a little more larrikin yeah, and the big divide here is, is city and country, as it is in most things um, for various reasons, but it's there's definitely there. So it is, it's always fun to play around with hearing the mainstream, highly inflated version of oh, yeah. the comedy Australian Ocker accent. It, yeah. I had some massive problems with one of the seasons of The Good Place where they go to Australia. Oh, the season three where it's set in Australia for about the oh, first five episodes. I It was it was hard going. There are like was two hard. Australian actors in it and then the rest of them. And one of the really main characters is an American putting on an Australian accent and it is no good and I'm sure she's a fine performer but she could not do the Aussie accent and it, was not, yeah. it wasn't her fault. She tried but it was just not a casting decision that worked. Yeah. Okay, so the order that they broadcast to the office of the BBC is destroy all the recording equipment. Yes, and there's a little nod into some, you know, classic sci-fi trope again when she says, and this order cannot be countermanded, which is the the sort of standard phrasing. It's famously from 
that same episode I was just talking about where the Doctor gets sent back to destroy the Daleks, like he he gets the opportunity to give a command to all of the <laughs> Daleks to destroy themselves. He's forcing Davros, the Daleks creator, to say it. And he says, say the order can't, can't be countermanded. And just before he says that, um, like Davros is freed and he says, no, cancel that last order. <laughs> uh, but the idea is you say this order cannot be countermanded so that if somebody else can't just come along and undo whatever you've told everybody uh-huh. to do. So, yeah. Um, and then- start saying that to people. <laughs> He's like, I'd like a, I'd like a soy latte, please. This order cannot be countermanded. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the um, uh, then they do. They start destroying the equipment. This was a lot of fun because we got like basically every guest actor who'd been in the show for the rest of the season. We got them to record a few lines of um, destroy the equipment. I was trying to pick them, and the only one I wrote down was Cal Wilson. That's the only one that still stood out to me, and I don't think she she didn't do she one. didn't do one. So that was she wasn't on this. I season. made it up. Destroy the equipment. Destroy the equipment. Destroy the equipment. Destroy the equipment. Have you seen the cows? They do destroy it. They go back. Then they're trying to figure out what the purpose was of this machine. And they just have to accept that they don't know. You know, they just have no way of knowing Which where is it comes from or what it's doing. And they and they and Eddie's the one who's like, "Are we just going to leave? We're not going to." do anything else and they're like yeah and this is when sue says you know sometimes blowing bad stuff mm. up is the best you can hope for which is fun i, I appreciated that yeah but then Great we line. we have two buttons to this scene which are glorious oh yeah the first one is we go back and we learn that what's left of this equipment these pieces um there's an order that's received that they need to be packaged up and sent back to the department oh yes the department as represented by mr king Played by none other than John Clark. Oh, beautiful John Clark. Yeah, we got him in to do this part. It was wonderful to work with him. Um, sadly, he passed away not not too long after this. It was only a year or so later. He Bless him. He came in and he was like very happy to do it. He was sort of like very happy with our entrepreneurial spirit. He was like, you're mm. just doing your own thing. Yep. This is great. I love it. He was very supportive. But he was also reading the script going, I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't understand this sci-fi business. And we're like, okay, just pretend that like you're evil and your plan has gone wrong. And he's like, yep, can do. Um, but, but you're very like a bureaucratic evil. You're not like, you know, like a Bond villain. He's like, yep, no worries. You could even start wars with it. Well, that is an interesting point. Yes, I'd certainly never thought of that. Well, I'm comforted knowing that John Clark didn't know what was happening no, too as, as a sci-fi outsider. But then there's this extra tag, which is just precious, <laughs> is that the actual Australian actors come to the BBC ready to do their recording session. And is that David Amanda? That is David Amanda. And they are even more ocker than the <laughs> terrible ocker lines. Um, it was all joy. We should recommend some content. Oh yeah, for people to consume while they wait for episode two. Yeah, uh, I, I have a couple. If you want to hear Ian Smith doing some more bizarro, fantastical sci-fi business, sure do. Check out the Australian horror film Body Melt. What? This is a ridiculous film um, that Ian Smith was in along with a lot of other Australian actors. It's from nineteen ninety three. And he plays one of the scientists and it's about this stuff that will make you like just your your body fat melt away. And, of course, it doesn't just do that. It makes all sorts of other horrible things happen to you. And there's lots <laughs> of very cheaply produced gross body horror and it's very silly. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd recommend that. That's that's a bit of fun. Well, in that same area, but not really, but Australian cinema is where I'm going to go for my recommendation because I think this showcases the Australian accent in such a 
charming and ludicrous and um, sweet way. And that's strictly ballroom. The Baz, Baz Luhrmann's first and best movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Set in the world of ballroom dancing. So good. And my favourite line in that whole movie is, Pam Short's broken both her legs and I want to dance with you. It's just like I didn't – the people I grew up with didn't talk like that, but it's just such a such a fun s- snapshot of a part of our culture and, a, you know, a turn – a vocal style from a era, bygone era. It's the best. And I love it. I love it too. There's one other thing I'd like to recommend actually this episode, which is another audio drama um, from our friends at Big Finish, but directed by Louise Jamison. And it's it's one of their original pieces. So they do a lot of licensed stuff, but they do originals as well. And it's called At A Girl. That's A-T-A Girl. Uh, it was released uh, last year in 2018. It's inspired by, I should say, the real women of the Air Transport Auxiliary, which was like this group in World War II where they flew planes from where they were manufactured to where, you know, the Air Force was going to need them. And there were like 160, 170 of these pilots who were women. And, you know, it's a very, it's one of those unsung parts of history. And <sighs> yeah, Louise Jamison directed and, and does appear in, I think, also as a character, this um, series of audio dramas about these women. I'm very happy that exists. Yeah. Check it out. Well, thank you, Ben. If you want more information about all things Night Terrace, then you can visit nightterrace.com. Keep your ears out on BBC Radio 4 Extra for the next episode. Listen on BBC iPlayer or BBC Sounds. You can find my neighbour's podcast. Just punch neighbours into your search engine. I'm Vaya, and we'll join you next time for a cover on the terrace. You have been listening to On the Terrace, a Splendor Chaps production. Find more entertainment for your ears at SplendorChaps.com.